We're dealing with a very, very sick individual. Tell me about it. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. Down in New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Donald Trump uh, spent, uh, what, four hours, Desiree? Oh, I think it was really four and a half. Four and a half hours down in uh, Puerto Rico today. We will have news on Puerto Rico with uh, Desi Doyen and our Green News Report in a little bit bit later. But uh, his visit today came too late for our GNR earlier today. Our Green News Report. Correct. And uh, that was uh, as he's finally visited Puerto Rico this afternoon. So just a few quick points uh, of what happened in Puerto Rico. He told officials down there that they should be proud that only 16 people died in Hurricane Maria. He compared that with the, quote, thousands killed in, quote, a real catastrophe like Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, Hurricane Katrina was the real catastrophe. (laughs) Hurricane Maria, uh, (laughs) that's nothing, apparently. He said 16 versus in the thousands during his first visit to the island after the storm. After he had asked one of the officials what the death count was, Uh, in fact, uh, Hurricane Katrina claimed 1,833 lives to our knowledge. Yeah, and that was mostly in the aftermath of the storm when the levees broke and Mm -hmm. people drowned versus here in Hurricane Maria. It's not the same situation. However, there will be higher death tolls as we get into the interior of the island and find out who died in it and who died in the aftermath from lack of power, lack of medical supplies, lack of water, lack of food. In, uh, in in Puerto Rico, his Trump's <laughs> Trump schedule will limit his exposure. The New York Times reports he was to be briefed by local officials in a hangar 
at a National Guard base, Air, Air National Guard base, then to meet with storm victims at an undisclosed location before going to a Navy amphibious assault ship for meetings with the governors of Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. In that airport hangar, Trump also sought praise from local officials. He repeated that uh, they have to help with the recovery, and he scolded them for the costs of disaster recovery, according to AP. Trump said, I hate to tell you, Puerto Rico, but you've thrown our budget a little out of whack because we've spent a lot of money on Puerto Rico. Can I just can I just say, you know, yeah, sure, saying that, hey, you've thrown our budget out of whack because you had a disaster, a natural disaster hit you. By the way, just FYI, Donald Trump, scientists predict that climate change is going to bring more frequent and intense extreme weather events that cause disasters like this. And that means we're going to have a lot more of these coming up. They're going to cost money. Most people would think you'd want to prepare for something like that rather than cutting the budget for them. And rather than criticizing the the victims themselves. Well, yes, that too. It comes after what uh, critics are calling, critics like Desi Doyen, I think, a (laughs) a too slow response to the crisis there. He said, uh, Trump said the federal government has done a good job in Puerto Rico responding to the devastation caused by Maria, but says local officials need to, quote, give us more help. So local officials need to to help the U.S. more, uh, U.S. government apparently more. Trump on Tuesday praised the federal response, saying that it is now acknowledged what a great job we've done. Unclear who's acknowledging that. Uh, Scattered groups of, of people gathered to watch Trump's motorcade pass by, one holding a sign uh, said, climate change is real. Oh, good. Another another sign said, you are a bad hombre. Oh, no. So there's that. Uh, well, but, you know, hey, that's that's part of everybody telling him what a great job he's doing. Uh, exactly. Uh, beyond that, let's start with some uh, some version of good news where we can find it today. Uh, following the uh, well, the the shooting in Vegas, the horrible way that we started the week. Uh, so this will have to suffice for good news at the moment. A Republican effort to make it far easier for people to buy gun silencers appears to have once again been delayed by a tragic shooting. South South Carolina Congressman Jeff Duncan said Monday that he expected a vote next week on his proposal to deregulate silencers. But now, after the shooting in Vegas, which killed 59 people, wounded 527 others, Republican leadership is saying there's no imminent plan to put the put that bill to a floor vote. Paul Ryan's office said that the bill was never intended to go to a vote in the near future. But (laughs) but Duncan said that leadership had indicated to his staff that the legislation was on schedule for next week, according to BuzzFeed. Currently, silencers are tracked similarly to heavy weaponry like machine guns under federal law. Buyers have to undergo background checks, submit fingerprints and their purchases registered in a federal database. Duncan's legislation would do away with those steps. Uh, it was uh, it would it was also a bill that would deregulate armor piercing ammunition. It would remove the federal government's authority to ban such ammo if and only if the manufacturer of armor piercing ammunition says that the armor piercing ammunition is intended for recreational purposes. 
Well, you know, That's whenever I go do. out and recreate, I want armor-piercing bullets. Who doesn't? The bill was already derailed uh, one time by a previous shooting back in June, the day the bill was supposed to go before a committee. A gunman opened fire on Republican lawmakers, remember that, practicing for a baseball game. Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise was among those seriously injured in the shooting. He returned finally to the Capitol last week, thankfully. Former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton singled out Duncan's legislation on Twitter on Monday, saying the crowd fled in Vegas uh, at the sounds of gunshots. Imagine the deaths if the shooter had a silencer, which the NRA wants to make easier to get. Duncan had initially introduced this legislation as the Hearing Protection Act, saying that it was intended to protect gun owners from hearing loss. Well, you know, they don't know about those things called earplugs. Christian Hain, legislative director at the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence, argued that if gun owners are genuinely concerned about hearing loss, they can purchase a silencer. They just have to go through normal background checks. Uh, So uh, law enforcement groups have also opposed this uh, deregulation of silencers, arguing that they increase danger to police by making the source of gunfire harder to trace. Well, the uh, the death toll ticked up to 59 last night after that massacre in Vegas, where nearly 600 concert goers on the Vegas Strip were shot in a matter of minutes from the 32nd floor of the Monterey Bay Resort and Casino. The uh, shooter, we have since learned from police, actually had an arsenal of 42 guns, 23 in his hotel suite at the Monterey Bay, 19 more back at home in uh, Mesquite, Nevada, along with thousands of rounds of ammunition uh, and even some explosives. Uh, How is it that someone is allowed to buy enough weapons legally Reportedly, many of them semi-automatic rifles that he was able to buy devices to convert them into fully automatic machine gun style weapons. How is it that someone is able to buy that many weapons enough to arm an entire platoon, really, with thousands of rounds of ammo, but he never ends up on law enforcement radar? With all of the ridiculous amount of money that the U.S. spends on the so-called war on terror all over the world under the premise of keeping Americans safe, uh, despite the, the, the far greater threat of homegrown terror and weapons that kill more than 30,000 Americans each year. It's still, you know, we repeat that number, but imagine if 30,000 Americans were killed every year here in the United States by terrorism. I, you know, how is I mean, how is it that an American citizen collects 42 military style assault weapons, but leaves no paper trail worth even checking out by the police or by state government or by federal government? After uh, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said during Monday's press briefing the day after the attack that it was, quote, premature to discuss policy changes regarding gun violence in the U.S., after that bloodbath in uh, on Sunday in Vegas, uh, she said there's a time and place for a political debate. But now is not, now is the time to unite as a country. NBC News's Hallie Jackson reminded Huckabee Sanders that when Omar Mateen 
killed 49 people at a gay nightclub in Orlando in June of 2016. That was the previous worst gun massacre in uh, modern U.S. history. The day after that massacre, Trump advocated the very next day for his proposal to ban all Muslims from entering the U.S., the very next day, he didn't wait. He didn't say this is a time for uh, to to unite as a country. I suspect if the shooter in this case had been linked to Islamic terrorists, we'd be hearing uh, a similar language at this point from the White House almost immediately. But as the shooter was a white elderly man from Nevada, it's apparently too soon to discuss policy changes to prevent such massacres of Americans. That, of course, is always the position of the terrorist-enabling NRA and uh, the Republicans that they support. That's always their position in the wake of, of mass shootings in the U.S. Howard Kurtz, the Fox News media clown, uh, tweeted yesterday, quote, Gun control is a legitimate issue. But for the Dems already raising it after Las Vegas massacre, could we just have a day before plunging in? In response, Ashley Feinberg, uh, who writes over at Wired, tweeted, Both my father and my sister are dead because of guns, and I would like to plunge in now. Lawhawk uh, responded to Kurtz by saying, Is it too long since uh, Columbine? Sandy Hook? Virginia Tech, Binghamton, Pulse, Dallas. To the GOP and the NRA, Lawhawk writes, it's never the right time. Lawhawk says, wrong, it is past time. And indeed it is. As we mentioned yesterday, the Vegas massacre marks the 273rd mass shooting in 275 days of uh, the year 2017. According to gunviolencearchive.org, a total of 11,650 people have, have died in all gun violence incidents this year. 23,500 have been injured, and that does not include the number of suicides by gun, which would add thousands of more victims to those totals for 2017. Uh, these are just huge and obscene numbers that we're talking about but we only talk about it after we have, you know, another mass uh, record mass shooting. We have these record we have these mass shootings every day, but it's only after these record shootings or after a US congressman gets gunned down that we talk about these things. Jason Kotke, the longtime blogger, uh, notes that from 2011 to 2015, the US averaged 33,800 gun deaths per year. 33,800. Contrast that to 1968, the deadliest year of the Vietnam War. 16,900 Americans were killed in that year of that war. So even in wartime, even in modern uh, wartime, more Americans are killed by guns here at home, either murder, homicide, or suicide, than in the deadliest year of the Vietnam War. Uh, the American College of Physicians issued a statement uh, on Monday labeling mass shootings a serious public health issue. A public health issue. 
We had a former uh, CDC director, uh, Center for Disease Control director on here uh, uh, some time ago talking about the fight that went on uh, years ago against the effort in Congress by Republicans to keep the CD, CDC from from even tracking these numbers. Uh, despite the fact that, uh, yes, this is a serious public health issue in the United States. The American College of Physicians said we must acknowledge that lack of a U.S. policy to address gun violence is the reason we have much higher rates of injuries and deaths from firearm violence than other countries. Uh, specifically, the statement called for a ban on the sale of uh, sale and ownership of automatic and semi-automatic weapons. The organization said that mass shootings in America, quote, have become frequent and even commonplace, adding, quote, something needs to change. In light of the rising number of mass shootings, this is a serious public health issue, they say, that needs to be addressed immediately by Congress. Well, good luck with that. The uh, the organization had previously urged Congress to lift restrictions on studies of the effect of violence on public health and strengthen background checks. They did that after the June 2016 shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. So, you know, the American College of Physicians is saying, please, is begging. Mind you, they are begging Republicans in Congress who had just tried to take away health care from millions of Americans under the guise of improving our health care system. So I don't know how far the American College of Physicians is actually going to get with these people. Congressional Democrats, of course, have been ramping up their calls for stricter gun safety laws in the wake of the shooting. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut uh, called on Congress to, quote, get off its ass and do something. But, of course, Republicans have uh, no such interest in doing any such thing uh, other than pretending that they that, that that they would like to do something about mental health. It's all about mental health. If we could just take care of mental health issues, just mental health reform, that would take care of all of these mass shootings in this in this country that would prevent these violent homicides and suicides. Well, would it? We will discuss that with Art Levine, who has a cover story coming out for Newsweek on all of this momentarily right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. According to Jared Gilmore and Joshua Tehi at McClatchy News, it's been illegal to carry a toy gun on the Las Vegas Strip since 2012 when Clark County commissioners passed an ordinance banning, quote, dangerous objects from the Strip. The ban, intended to make the sidewalks safer, prohibited flamethrowers, blades over three inches long, and 
toy guns. But what it didn't prohibit was real guns. Nevada has some of the loosest gun laws in the uh, in the country. And Nevada state law bars cities, towns and counties from passing their own gun laws, according to Vice News. After the most deadly uh, mass shooting in modern U.S. history left at least 59 dead and 527 injured at that Las Vegas music festival late Sunday, there has been increased scrutiny on Nevada's gun laws. Don Turner, the president of the state's NRA affiliate, the Nevada Firearms Coalition, told Vice on Monday that the state has been uh, among the least restrictive gun laws in the country. But he added that, quote, when someone has that kind of mentality, it doesn't matter what kind of laws you have. It doesn't matter, I guess. There's just no way to stop them with that sort of mentality. So why bother limiting their ability to buy military-style assault weapons that can shoot some 600 people in a matter of minutes? Nothing can be done about it, so why even try? No permit is required to buy a gun in Nevada, and there's no limit on the number of guns that one person can uh, purchase at once. And if the city of Las Vegas wanted to change that themselves, well, state law would not allow them to do so. So while street performers in uh, Star Wars Stormtrooper costumes are barred from carrying fake blasters, McClatchy notes, it's perfectly legal to openly carry a gun on the Las Vegas Strip and bring them into polling places, hotels, bars, and casinos, even while consuming alcohol. Semi-automatic weapons as well as machine guns are allowed if they comply with federal law, which outlaws civilians from owning machine guns made after 1986, according to Slate. But, you know, got a machine gun you bought uh, in the early 80s? Bring it on in. No problem. Have a drink. Sit down. Put it on the table while you play blackjack. Although Nevadans voted last year at the polling place in support of a statewide ballot measure that would mandate background checks on firearm purchases between private parties, Nevada's Republican Attorney General Adam Laxalt has said the law is unenforceable, and so he has put the measure on hold, according to the San Jose Mercury News. So even Americans themselves, who overwhelmingly support improved gun safety measures, including Republicans and even NRA members by almost 80 percent, even when they show up themselves to pass ballot measures that lawmakers will not those lawmakers uh, who are supported by the terrorist-enabling NRA, they still figure out how to stymie the will of the voters. As expected, that's exactly what they are doing today at the federal level as well. While Democratic legislators have been uh, demanding legislative solutions, Republicans in Congress following the lead of President Trump are mostly lauding the police and other first responders in Las Vegas instead of taking any action, according to the New York Times. Uh, when uh, pressed by reporters as he boarded his helicopter on the way to Puerto Rico today, President Trump seemed to dismiss the government's ability to do anything at all, really, because, you know, the shooter in Vegas was just a mentally disturbed person. He was a sick man, a demented man, a lot of problems, I guess, and uh, we're looking into him very, very seriously, but... We're dealing with a very, very sick individual. Well, Congress is following Trump's lead there as well. When pressed by journalists as to what action 
Congress may finally take, as usual, just over 24 hours since the worst shooting spree in modern U.S. history. Republicans are calling for reform to mental health care laws. House Speaker Paul Ryan on Tuesday said Congress is focusing on mental illness reform to prevent mass shootings in the future, but he defended Congress's passage in February of a bill revoking a regulation preventing certain people with mental illness from buying guns. We're all just reeling from this horror that we witnessed in Las Vegas, Ryan said, uh, calling the shooting, quote, just awful. Asked what Congress is doing to try and prevent such tragedies in the future, Ryan cited mental illness reform. A reporter then asked, uh, so it was a mistake to make it easier for mentally ill people to get a gun, citing the Obama-era regulation that Congress repealed back in February, making it easier for those found by a court to be mentally incapacitated to purchase deadly weapons. Ryan dismissed the question. He moved on to another reporter who pressed him on the same subject, according to TPM's Esme Cribb. Ryan said there were people whose rights were being infringed, adding protecting people's rights was very important, and that's what that issue was all about. Okay, so protecting one person's rights, very important. Protecting the lives of tens of thousands of peaceful concertgoers that that one person might kill, along with some 30,000 Americans killed each year by guns, that not, not quite as important. But while we talked at some length on yesterday's broadcast about how the ease of access to guns in the U.S. is almost certainly the reason that deaths by guns are some 25 times higher here than in all the other developed nations, even stricter gun safety laws can't stop all murders and suicides, of course. So what of the GOP's insistence that only mental health reform can curb America's out-of-control gun epidemic? Uh, well, joining us now to discuss exactly that is veteran journalist and author Art Levine. Uh, he is a frequent contributor to The Atlantic, Mother Jones, Salon, and Alternet. He's contributing editor of The Washington Monthly. He was recently named uh, Mental Health Journalist of the Year by the Florida National Alliance on Mental Illness for his new book, Mental Health Inc., How Corruption, Lax Oversight, and Failed Reforms Endanger Our Most Vulnerable Citizens. And, by the way, he is the author, I believe, of next week's cover story, I think, for Newsweek on all of this. Art Levine, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, by the way, I was honored by the Florida uh, branch of NAMI, mm -hmm. as it's known, uh, for my work starting back in 2001 on, on the overcriminalization of people with mental illness. Mm. However, I've been uh, supporting much of their agenda over the years. So uh, it's you did a fantastic introduction, and uh, I'd be love to walk you through Republican hypocrisy on these issues if you if you I, uh, want to hear. I, I I do, and actually we we spoke off air, and then I want to get into some of the the points in your book as well, Art, because sure. I think they apply here. We we spoke uh, yesterday off air that you were going to be sort of monitoring right wing media, Fox News, Breitbart, in the wake of this shooting to see how quickly they were moving to the old mental illness reform uh, really right. distraction. Uh, what did you find? Have they done that already, or yeah, are they still yeah, at the old they're, too they're, soon? They're, well, they're, 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 it's a mix of uh, three things. Too soon, the Democrats are offering uh, 
useless solutions that have no meaning, such as when Hillary uh, mentioned the silencer issue, mm-hmm. they said, well, would a silencer have made a difference on an automatic weapon? And, and so they're basically, and of course they're seizing on things like the CBS lawyer now fired who made heartless comments mm-hmm. about she doesn't mind people being killed, and they allude periodically to the mental illness. Now, what Ryan said is extremely striking for this reason. Apparently, it didn't get much attention, but there already was a mental health reform bill that had been worked on in Congress for about uh, four years that passed um, in in December. It was signed into law in December 2016. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, and one of the co-sponsors on the Senate side is Senator Chris Murphy, who's a stalwart champion Mm -hmm. of the issue of uh, gun control and mental health reform. So when Ryan refers to, he apparently doesn't know that his, uh, the Congress that he is the head of the House actually passed a bill called Helping Families in Mental Health Crisis Act. So in other words, it's such a trope and such a nostrum that's thrown out. They throw it out like a tick. Uh, to invoke when, in fact, there was a law. It's not a perfect law, but many issues about trying to improve access and prevention and uh, better coordinated mental health services actually passed. And where they stand, to, so that is, that is one of the areas of mm-hmm. hypocrisy uh, about it. But more, to me, among the most significant areas of hypocrisy is it's an almost one-on-one match if, a legislator is strongly opposed to gun control or takes actions to passively disrupt by not supporting gun control, almost certainly they voted for Obamacare repeal and cutting back on Medicaid, mm, okay? Right. So it's, it's an almost, I, I would offer five copies of my book <laughs> free to anyone who can find a strong opponent of gun control who also was um, actively championing, defending the role of expanded Medicaid and maintaining Obamacare. I don't Uh, know if there are any. Yeah, no, there aren't. And I want to ask about that, uh, what what the specific bill was that they did pass in 2016. But you were, I want to, you were kind enough to send me an early copy of your of your book several weeks ago. And there was a chilling note. There is a chilling note on page 20. Uh, where you write that in the first half of 2016 alone, there were nearly 170 mass shootings. Uh, And you note that most mass killers have some form of mental illness. And you add, by the time you read this, there will most likely be yet another horrific tragedy that stirs new calls for reform. Well, uh, you nailed it, Art. Um, You also go on to mention that uh, new debates over whether mental illness or unimpeded access to guns is really at fault will be part of the debate. And there will be concern from progressives that people with mental illness are being unfairly stigmatized since they are far more likely to be victims than perpetrators of violence. Well, let's talk about that last part. How are progressives holding up mental health reform, as as you found in the course of, of working on this book? And uh, I, I think that point is worth underscoring about victims, uh, about yeah, uh, well, mental health being more likely to be victims than perpetrators of violence. Right. Here. Well, th- 
what what happens in this debate is complicated. Is that the people who are very well meaning and whose agenda I support don't like to talk uh, about people in the mental health reform community, like let's say with Mental Health America or National Alliance on Mental Illness. Mm-hmm. They are for improving access to care, and they don't like the stigmatization. That's a key issue. So they're, they're upholding, meaning they're, mm-hmm. uh, they are working for mental health reform in many good ways, but the general line emerging from many progressives, which is simply not accurate, is that uh, it's completely unfair to stigmatize people with mental illness for uh, uh, engaging in violence uh, because they, in fact, are more often victims. However, for certain kinds of untreated serious mental illness, such as schizophrenia, which this shooter did not have, um, the, uh, the, the degree of higher participation in violence, although rare, is two to three times higher than the average citizen without those mm-hmm. um, problems. However, and this is where it gets complicated, is almost half of that can be accounted for their higher degree of substance abuse. Mm. Uh, so, in other words, there's a higher risk of people with untreated mental illness who are also substance abusers uh, because they're driven to self-medicate to commit violence. But that doesn't mean that we should not, as a society, take action to reduce their access. And there's a very important parallel where there are successes in, in reducing gun access and the impact on people with mental illness, and I'd be glad to tell you about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you about that L.A. County example I think you're citing there. But, I, but there's also but, another example regarding suicide prevention, but please okay. go ahead. Well, let, let, I, I want to get to that, but I... I I wanted to note first, uh, are those concerns, those rather nuanced concerns from progressives, have they been preventing uh, Congress or states from actually moving forward with some of these reforms that are in in many cases needed? In other cases, they're, uh, I I think, you know, overwrought and uh, perhaps even dangerous. But, uh, you know, I, I wonder, is that keeping progressives from moving forward and at the same time? You note that there are many states that don't use the powers that they already have to right. seize weapons from people who are deemed dangerous uh, or previously, you know, committed to hospitals. So uh, tell me about that. And wh- okay, there, why is that? There, there are two separate issues, yeah. but they have a. Here's what they are. Yeah. The only arena in which the ideological sort of hidebound nature of the debate is weakening reform is. The unwillingness of many progressives and, and all the national organizations to support very proactive programs to help prevent, such as in L.A. County, which has a uh, world-class mm-hmm. preventative outreach program that stopped over 50 campus attacks. They're unwilling to support that or publicize it because, in their view, it unfairly stigmatizes people with mental illness no matter that it works. So that, that, that's, that's one of the issues. But then, and, but an example where uh, a state like California, which actually has stronger gun laws than a place like 
um, Nevada, mm-hmm. in many states, states currently have a power that now exists which allows them to seize weapons involving people with serious mental illness who have been committed. Most states have this authority. Now, that would not apply to this shooter Mm -hmm. because he had never been committed to a mental hospital. However, I want to mention something that's very significant. Some states, such as California, Connecticut, and Indiana, have the authority to seize weapons for between a year and five years without requiring a formal court-ordered commitment uh, background of the individual if the people are deemed dangerous by authorities. But they don't... That is extraordinary. But do they they use that authority at all? Very rarely. (laughs) But, But worse than very rarely. I mean, they do use it, but in California, like the... Uh, Elliot Rogers killings in in the Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara. Isla Vista area mm-hmm. area. I mean, the, the the police completely bungled it. They had about a hundred red flags about this guy. His site, his parents, his therapist calling it. He's crazy. He's dangerous. They show up to his door. They open the door, and he goes. He's a nice guy, and they walk away inside his bedroom. Inside his bedroom are the guns piled up inside the guy's bedroom. And so this is the, and they, if they had people who were trained like they are in L.A. County, they would, have, they would have talked their way in, found it, and then seized his weapons for a year. But here's where the gun lobby ha- does its wonders. And that is, there's this incredible loophole that was well described by the New York Times in an article in 2013 that, People who had previously been hospitalized or judged deranged, if they are no longer acting immediately in the moment in a dangerous manner, they can petition to get their guns back, uh, you know, mm. and they do. So basically, there, this, there's this law that exists in many states to allow you to take out uh, from people who are judged dangerous. Mm-hmm. In some cases, like in California, whether or not they have commitment, and yet most of them have written in these loopholes that uh, essentially people can come back in and then say, yes, I'd like my guns back, despite being hospitalized three years earlier. You know. So, so we have, so we have these, we have these gun laws uh, at the state level that are not uh, uh, properly uh, used, uh, that are poorly uh, carried out, where they uh, seem to undo the very purpose that they were put in place for. We've got Congress who did uh, put in a bill uh, back in uh, 2016 in response, supposedly, to these other mass shootings. And now they're calling for more reforms very quickly, Art Levine. What did, what, what did that uh, 2016 bill do that they, uh, that they now want to apparently do more of, I guess? Well, it is literally meaningless rhetoric. So here's what the bill does. The bill basically improved coordination... This is going to sound really dry and boring, but it's kind of important. It improved coordination between the 112 different federal mental health programs, Mm -hmm. and they put in a a new kind of mental health czar inside HHS to oversee it all. It aims to expand access to crisis inpatient care and 
promote more early prevention and screening, but it is underfunded, and that was just an authorization bill, and it's still lagging in terms of actually funding it for appropriations. Now, I haven't determined exactly the level of appropriations, but it was an authorization bill. Mm -hmm. However, every single thing that in terms of the larger aim of providing better services, which is the focus of my book, how poor quality care is undermining mental health and opioid addiction, not simply getting access to care, which remains a major problem. Where the hypocrisy is uh, for Ryan and every other Republican is, regardless of this authorization bill that doesn't yet have full appropriations, I know that sounds technical, but it's kind of important. Mm -hmm. They passed the measure. They didn't fully fund it. And on the other hand, the actual programs right now, they're delivering services. They are moving forward, as I described in my article recently for Alternate, for a war on people with mental illness, opioid addiction, and with chronic pain. There is a essential war going on aimed and targeted by HHS and the Trump administration to undermine every possible means, Medicaid and Obamacare, to reduce coverage through waivers and cuts and other uh, regulatory and administrative means to drastically undercut. And, and at the same time, if I understand uh, the argument in your book, you're saying that basically the Republicans are also trying to, f th their solution is to sort of force involuntary medication. Right, and, that, that, uh, yeah. that, 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 right. That, that is a key talking point that is favored by m many kind of uh, people across the spectrum. However, it has stronger support among Republicans, which is the use of mandated uh, outpatient treatment, which, is, uh, which essentially mm -hmm. often may require forced uh, medication. And th but this is this is often used in the wake of uh, of of mass slaughters as a central uh, fact. But what I found when I looked into it and looked closely at the research is, while in some rare cases an involuntary hold for someone who's a clear and imminent danger to himself or others is warranted. What, the, what these advocates favor, and most states now have laws that are unevenly enforced to do this, is sort of long-term, court-monitored, outpatient, uh, mandated treatment. Now, the problem is, is that if you don't provide, like, decent services to go along with it, that it's not going to make much of a difference. Secondly, what, what type of services? In other that words, that would mean, in other yeah. words, that a person in a in a well like there's well-run versions of this mm -hmm. that have a compulsion degree. But what they found is the issue is making sure that the person has access to psychiatric care and 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 knowing is what's called the black robe effect, knowing that that you know, they could get in trouble if they don't uh, comply with this. Mm -hmm. The problem with this is that, A, uh, there's no evidence that forcing people against their will to take medications is going to work better than voluntarily offering services, you see. And, and these are the same people, by the way, who are saying that uh, you know, we're concerned about their rights, their right to buy a gun, but let's... 
let's yeah, force absolutely. medication on them. Art, I've got just a minute or two left, but you spent a lot of time in your book and you did a lot of research on the L.A. County program we've referenced. Uh, and, and you argue that that has actually successfully stopped uh, some 50 planned camp campus shootings. Right. Uh, and without uh, forcing medication and long-term care on individuals. Very quickly, how does that well, L.A. program work and, and what well, are the innovations you see there? Well, how it worked is engagement and vo- uh, voluntary outreach. They are very skilled at having and creating a culture of empathy and outreach. And even when they're using uh, mandated laws, they don't invoke the mandate in 90% of the case. So the concept is that they do voluntary outreach. They have very skilled people who create empathetic bonds with the people they're tracking and seeking help. And therefore, these people remain in treatment. And uh, if you give one second, an example of a, a turnaround is they found a young man who was drawing all these horrible images of killing people and killing himself and looked to be, you know, have all these uh, mm-hmm. disorders. And then they, they reached out to him, got him care, got him medication, and now his talent in drawing he's now in art school and he's flourishing and is not a danger to himself or others so staying involved with these people uh visiting them from time to time following their progress uh, no yet no you 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 described that no national mental health groups are citing that program i think it's called la county's start program right Uh, they're not citing it as a model why yeah why because it doesn't it's, it, here's why. It's not good for the right wing to cite it because their big uh, 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 golden goal is mandated drug uh, and outpatient treatment. So they don't want to cite it because it's voluntarily oriented. And the liberals and mental health progressives don't want to cite it because it stigmatizes people with mental illness for having violence, even though it's had over 5,000 people involved and help stop 50 attacks. So you think, oh, gee, let's do this. This would be great. No, it's a political orphan. Unbelievable. Uh, clowns to the left, jokers to the right, I guess. As the theme song says, I'm stuck right. in the middle with you, Art Levine. Uh, please, Absolutely. Please uh, check out Art's book, Mental Health, Inc., How Corruption Lacks Oversight and Failed Reforms Endanger Our Most Vulnerable uh, Citizens. Uh, a book which the great James Fallows of The Atlantic describes as an original and convincing case about the failures of the mental health industrial complex. And also keep an eye out for uh, for Art's uh, cover story coming up soon. Uh, uh, the, at, the, the, yeah. the Department of Veterans Affairs and the raft of over-medication leading to thousands of deaths of veterans. Uh, uh, that That's the story at Newsweek, correct? Yep. All right, we'll keep our eyes out for it. Uh, thanks, Art. Always great to talk to you, my friend. Uh, you can also follow his work on the Twitters and harass him the way you harass me at ArtL7. Thanks, Art. Appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. I, I love Art, but I got I to tell you, it's one of these issues, mental health and uh, Mental Health, Inc. It's a great book. One of these issues that does not fit neatly uh, into the right, into the left, and so it uh, it sort of gets lost entirely. Yes, because it can't be demagogued quite as easily as other issues can be. Yep, that's exactly right. And so, you know, well, we tend to, 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 this is why Republicans hate me, this is why Democrats hate <laughs> me, frankly, because... 
you know, we tend to cover the issues that don't fit neatly into that demagoguery. Yeah. Uh, and uh, hard right or middle left uh, yeah, but, well, the <laughs> ideology. Devil, the devil is in the details. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, speaking of the devil in the details, uh, Donald Trump went down to Puerto Rico today. We'll give you an, an update on that and a little bit more on the broadcast straight ahead in our Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. The sky was the limit Into the great wide open Welcome back. To the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That is, of course, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, great wide open. Hopefully, Desi Doyen, you don't mind that we're using it here today instead of your usual Green News report theme. No, Uh, not at all. Tom Petty, singer, songwriter, guitarist who melded California rock with a deep, stubborn Southern heritage, as New York Times describes it, to produce a long string of durable hits, died on Monday in L.A., Longtime manager said in a statement that Petty suffered a cardiac arrest at his home in Malibu early Monday morning, uh, and he was pronounced dead uh, later that night with family members, friends, and bandmates present at the hospital. Uh, his, his death had actually been misreported earlier in the day by CBS, who had to issue a correction, but uh, ultimately he did die on Monday night. Tom Petty's songs were staples of rock radio for decades with hits like Into the Great Wide Open, Refugee, Don't Come Around Here No More, Free Fallen, and his 1989 hit that frequently appears in our bumper music rotation, I Won't Back Down, Yeah, where he sings, You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. And he never did. Tom Petty was 66. He will be missed. But his music will continue to rock on, I suspect. Indeed. All right, Desi Doyen, uh, with that, uh, we, we now turn to, uh, to disasters in Puerto Rico. But some good news at the end of this Green News report, if you can hang on long enough. So let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. I am begging anyone that can hear us. 
to save us from dying. Humanitarian crisis remains dire in Puerto Rico. Scale up. They need to scale up in Puerto Rico. Katrina had 20,000 federal troops. Puerto Rico is bigger than Katrina. U.S. military begins to step up its disaster response. Trump attacks San Juan mayor on Twitter from his golf club in New Jersey. Plus, General Motors announces it will start making more electric cars. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I have no reaction. The the mayor's living on a cot, and uh, I, I hope the president have a good day at golf. That sounds like a reaction to me, General Honoré, man who saved New Orleans after Katrina. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, with the horrible events in Las Vegas, I'm concerned that Puerto Rico... Uh, may fall off the radar of the uh, corporate media right now. How are things going down there? Well, they are improving somewhat in the wake of the destruction wrought by Hurricane Maria. The situation remains dire for hundreds of thousands of U.S. citizens, with distribution of aid remaining the biggest problem for the island. U.S. President Donald Trump is set to give remarks in Puerto Rico later today. Journalists who have managed to reach the island's remote interior villages report that residents say they still have not seen any government relief operations nearly two weeks after the hurricane destroyed the island's infrastructure and communications. The Department of Defense has now revised upwards the number of Puerto Ricans lacking access to clean water. It's about 54 percent, a little over 1.6 million people. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is now in Puerto Rico to begin restoring the electric grid transmission lines. On Friday, the mayor of San Juan, Carmen Yulín Cruz, gave another impassioned plea for the federal government to escalate its response and cut through bureaucratic red tape. So I am done being polite. I am done being politically correct. I am mad as hell because my people's lives are at stake. That received an unprecedented response from U.S. President Donald Trump. Tweeting from his golf resort in Bedminster, New Jersey over the weekend, Trump attacked the mayor and the U.S. citizens of Puerto Rico as, quote, ingrates who, quote, expect everything to be done for them. And just to be clear, uh, Mayor Cruz has been spending the last two weeks wading through hip-deep water with waders on, trying to reach her constituent, trying to save lives uh, with a bullhorn. You heard General Honoré there, who was uh, the general who came in after Katrina to to clean up that mess, criticizing these obnoxious tweets from Donald Trump. I don't even know what to say at this point anymore. Well, the U.S. military commander who has been appointed to lead this emergency response, Lieutenant General Jeffrey Buchanan, is now in Puerto Rico. In an interview with CNBC, he agreed with Mayor Cruz's dire assessment after seeing the destruction for himself, saying he will need more troops and more equipment. Uh, do you think that we've turned a corner now on logistics, that, th- that this is the tip of the iceberg? Uh, I, I, I'd be hesitant to say that. Our capacity is growing, but that doesn't mean that, that we're getting all the right help to the people who need it. 
So I guess Lieutenant Jeffrey Buchanan, by Donald Trump's definition, hates the troops and the first responders as well. Private companies have also stepped up to help. Tesla, which owns solar panel and battery storage maker Solar City, has sent hundreds of solar panels, home-sized battery storage systems, and installation teams to help restore electricity, repair damaged solar panel systems, and install new ones. German company Sonnen says it will also be installing local microgrids in Puerto Rico to help restore emergency operations around the island. Hurricane Maria exposed the vulnerability of centralized electric grids with overhead transmission lines, and that has spurred talk of rebuilding the island's electric grid to accommodate more renewable energy in a decentralized system, including community microgrids. Tom Rogers, a renewable energy expert in Britain, told the Washington Post that utility executives on several battered Caribbean islands that he has spoken to told him, quote, they would prefer to rebuild using distributed generation with storage, just trying to reduce the amount of transmission lines. Finally, some surprising news. On Monday, American car maker General Motors became the latest auto manufacturer to announce that it is making a push into electric cars, with at least 20 all-electric models by 2023. Auto industry analysts say the move was forced in part by China, which recently announced it will set a timetable for the complete phase-out of the sale of conventional gasoline and diesel cars within its borders. China intends to be the world leader in electric vehicle sales and manufacturing, and GM needs to keep up. Well, it takes a while, but American auto companies are maybe figuring it out. You figured it out, Desi Doyen, long ago. Thank you for that. For much more on all our stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your... Green News Report. Well, they're at least not taking quite as much time getting help down to Puerto Rico right now. No, no. The scaling up is what needs to happen. It's just a shame it didn't start rolling sooner. It could have started days earlier. Two more quick points in follow-up here. Just uh, now that General Motors is getting into the electric car business, a quick reminder, they used to be in the electric car business. Remember the EV1? Oh, yes, that's right. The yeah. one that they destroyed. That, that's right, that they just stopped making. They for some confiscated odd them all and put them in a shredder. Defa- despite the fact that everybody loved them. Uh, also, uh, though it was too early for our Green News report today, Trump uh, did get down to uh, Puerto Rico and uh, where he told officials that they should be proud that only 16 people died in Hurricane Maria compared with the, quote, thousands killed in, quote, a real catastrophe like Hurricane Katrina. He also responded to critics who said he was too slow responding there uh, to that crisis uh, by telling local officials that they, quote, need to give us more help. So there's that. There's your uh, empathy and your disaster response. To bring you up to date. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. To my guest today, my friend Art Levine. Get smarter by his new book, Mental Health, Inc., and my thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can, as ever, download it for free at bradblog.com. We hope you will uh, find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. And you can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. As ever, my thanks to those of you who 
Become active supporters of the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you very much for that. And I think that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.